tone down the language and say that to fear God means simply to revere Him or to respect Him or to be in awe of Him. And while all of these explanations are part of what it means to fear God, they they are right and true in one sense, there is still a reason why our Bibles say to fear God. You see, the Hebrew word that is translated uh, into English, the word we use fear, is yare, from which the word fear is the primary definition. It actually means to be afraid or to be frightened. And so when we translate this word, the best way that we can use to describe it, the best word we can use to describe it, is fear. Reverence and awe and respect fall way down the list of descriptions of this Hebrew word Yahweh. The principal meaning of this word Yahweh is fear and to be afraid of. And so as we look at our scriptures and we see in all of these places that it says, fear the Lord, in a very real sense, that's exactly what it means. But it begs the question, since God has chosen to reveal himself to us principally as a loving father, And since the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, then why would he want us to fear him? Why would would a loving dad want his children to fear him? What could be the purpose of this? What good could come out of fearing the Lord? The answer is because, as our loving father, he wants us to take him seriously. You see, when you have a healthy fear of someone or something, you take them seriously. If they say, do something, you'll do it. And if they say, don't do something, you won't. That's it. So you see, when you take God seriously, it's always for our good. But when we don't take God seriously, when we don't fear Him, it is always to our own detriment. As a father, the story for me just came to mind as I was looking at this passage of something that happened just a few weeks ago. Our oldest son, Declan, thought it would be fun to push a toy into our youngest son, Theodore's mouth. They're playing in the living room floor, and I'm in the kitchen, and I heard this faint coughing, wheezing sound, and so my spider senses start tingling, and I poke my head around the corner, and here I see... Theodore's face beginning to turn red, and Declan laughing, thinking this is no big deal, just great fun. So, of course, after immediately taking care of the situation, and Theodore was fine, I knew instinctively that Declan needed to be taught in no uncertain terms the potential seriousness of what he had been doing to his younger brother. He needed to understand that this was dangerous and unacceptable, something he had no concept of. And so, of course, even though he didn't recognize the potential seriousness of what he had done to Theodore, through my discipline, he very quickly realized the seriousness with which I viewed what he had done. And so even though he couldn't grasp the danger of what he had actually been doing, he grasped the danger to him by what he was doing through my discipline and the consequences that followed. And you know what? So far, he hasn't done it since. (laughs) This is how it works. Sometimes God has to discipline us, to put a fear into us of Him because we don't understand the potential seriousness of what we are doing in our behavior, in our life. We don't understand what it could do to us down the road or even to our families or children, the ripple effects. 
And so God teaches us to fear Him and His discipline for our own good, just as we do with our children. We see this principle uh, plain as day in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 9 to 10. There the writer of Hebrews says, We have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. What an amazing thing that God is disciplining us for, that we may share in His holiness. You see, God disciplines us for our good. And he knows that if we don't have a healthy fear of him, then we won't take him seriously. And we will simply keep on doing those things that are dangerous, not only to ourselves, but to others around us. And I wonder, how many men today take God seriously? As we look around our culture and as we look around at homes and families and marriages, how many men are truly taking God seriously? How many men have a healthy fear of the Lord to guide their actions through life? How many men are taking seriously the fact that one day they will be held accountable by God before Him as to how they lived, how they treated their wives, how they raised their children? Men today, whatever age you are, if you are not yet a father or someone who's been a father for many years... The fear of the Lord is still today the key to blessing, not only to you, but to your wife, whether that's present or future, your children, your church, and your community. But as the leader of your home or future home, if you don't take God seriously today, how can you expect your family to? It must begin with you. You are the leader. The leader must show the way. You set the tone. But here's the best part. When you do that, when you show what it looks like to fear the Lord with your life, the best part is that God's promise is that all of his divine blessing and protection comes with. Listen to Psalm chapter 34, verses 7 and 9. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. The angel of the Lord. What an incredible passage. Did you know that there are angels that we cannot see constantly going about the Father's business? There are angels very, very literally attached to your life, the life of your family, the life of this church, who are doing God's work on His behalf and your behalf. The Bible even says that there are those who have entertained angels unaware. And so we know that they go around amongst us and and we don't even necessarily know that they're there and yet they are doing God's work. And he says that when we fear God, he sends his angels to guard his children. And verse 9 says, Fear the Lord, you his saints. Fear the Lord. For those who fear him lack no good thing. You see, when we really fear God in the right way, there is nothing else on this earth that can make us afraid. When you fear God, everything else pales in comparison. Oswald Chambers once wrote these words. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Have you found that true in your life? 
if you fear God, you need not fear anything else. Men, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Everyone has little nagging fears, things that we maybe harbor somewhere in the deep recesses of our heart. What are you afraid of? What's your deepest fear? What's the worst thing that could happen to you? Not being able to pay the bills. Economic recession. Your marriage failing. Your crop failing. You failing. Are you afraid of your boss? Are you afraid of getting laid off from work? Getting injured or sick? Maybe someone in your family getting injured or sick. Are you afraid of the unknown? Afraid of all the things that are happening in the world around us? Nuclear war, Satan, sin, death. What are you afraid of? Let me tell you that you can take all of those fears or any other fears that you can possibly think of and you can place them at the foot of God's throne and they will be vaporized in an instant. There is nothing and no one bigger or stronger or more powerful than the God we serve. Fear him and you need not fear anything or anyone ever again. Do you believe that? We can walk through this life without fear. God has made that possible for us. We need only to fear him and nothing else in this life can ever scare us again. So fear him. This is the first thing that fathers must do to obtain God's blessing. It is the first key. Fear the Lord. What else can fathers do to obtain God's blessing? Look at the second thing in the opening verse. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in His ways. Walk in the Lord's ways. You know, the Bible talks a lot about how we walk. It emphasizes walking before God, walking in obedience, Later on, it says we must walk as Jesus did. The whole idea is that we should want to walk with God and walk like God. Back in Genesis, we're told that God came down and walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. What a great picture. You know, I love these beautiful spring days as, you know, me and Leanne, one of the things we love to do is to go for a walk. And so, as, as Leanne and I, you know, we, we get the stroller out and we head out through the park and we had some of these beautiful spring evenings before the mosquitoes were out. They were especially nice. And we're just walking in the cool of the evening and that's when we have our best conversations. And that's what comes to mind for me as I think of the Lord going down into the garden, walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day and they're just having intimacy. They're having great conversation. They're enjoying each other's presence. This is how God created us to walk with him. But sadly, the evening walk comes to an end. Not because God stopped showing up, but because Adam and Eve disobeyed, they failed, and they hid away. So when God shows up for the usual walk in the evening, Adam and Eve are the ones who have decided to opt out. They have hidden away, nowhere to be found. And it's been the same ever since. God still desires to walk with his children. He still shows up in the cool of the day saying, walk with me, come with me. Let me show you what life really looks like. But we are the ones because of sin and disobedience who hide away. He's waiting, calling, come, walk with me. And like Adam and Eve, we hide away. This is the problem. God still wants to walk with his children. It's just that his children don't desire to walk with him. Sin, shame, worries, 
fear of things other than God, excuses of all types and stripes keep us away from him. But I praise God that through Jesus Christ, all of those things can not only be dealt with, but they can be removed forever. So if you're a dad here today, and you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then there is absolutely nothing left that can hold you back from having that daily walk with God, your Father. God will meet you. He will walk with you every single day. The only thing you've got to do is make that decision to show up. Show up and walk with God. It's that simple. When you open your your eyes first thing in the morning, what's the first thing that crosses your mind? What do you do? What's your reflex? You open your eyes, what do you do to start your day? Do you say, good morning, Lord? Help me to walk with you today. You know, I'm not a great morning person, but I've trained myself to start my day every day with those words. Lord, let me walk with you today. Help me today. That's about as spiritual as my prayers can get first thing in the morning. But you know what? When I begin my day with that thought, it carries throughout the day that God is walking with me and I am walking with him. And he honors those prayers, even from the foggy mind of the first thing in the morning. We have to make that decision every single day to just say, Lord, I want to walk with you. Dads, if you truly want God's blessing in your life and in your home, then decide that you are going to make the time to be walking with God, to be talking with God, and working for God. You set the example for your wife and for your children. So talk with them about your faith. Talk with them about your relationship with the Lord. On the way home from church, do you do things like discuss with them? What did they learn in Sunday school? What did they hear in the sermon that stood out to them? Do you pray together with them and for them individually, by name? You know, study the Bible together. Ask them what they think this story could mean. And depending on their ages, find the ways that you can interact with them by serving God together. And of course, as I throw all of this long laundry list of things out there, it seems daunting and overwhelming. And so don't get me wrong, I am not in any way saying I've got this thing figured out. By no means. I am in the middle of it right now, looking at what this looks like in my life with my boys. No one is able to do all these things perfectly all the time, but the key is to be regular and intentional in cultivating these positive disciplines within your life and family. Don't just leave these things up to chance or say, you know, wife, these are for you to do. God has designed you to be the spiritual leader. And if your children are older and have already left home, it's still not too late to begin making positive choices. Because you never know what amazing thing that God could do through your obedience. So dads, what are you waiting for? Lead the way. Set the example. There's a story that Larry Crabb tells about watching his father pray and the impression that left when he was only four years old. In his words, he says, It was Sunday morning. About 50 people had gathered in a circle at our communion service. The elements, covered simply with a white cloth, were on the table in the middle. The arrangement was intentional. It spoke of Christ being at the center of our thoughts. Dad stood up to pray, and I was lying on the floor between the chairs, 
Looking up at him from the floor, even now, the memory is vivid and clear. I thought to myself, looking up at my dad as he prayed, he actually thinks he's talking to someone. And whoever it is means more to him than anyone else in the whole world. Without even thinking about it, Larry Crabb's father was modeling where his priorities lay. Who was the most important person in his life? And as he walked with God at the communion table, his actions, his body language, his spirit spoke to his son of walking in God's ways. That left an indelible imprint on his life, and he went on to become a great pastor and author. What else can a father do to obtain God's blessings? He must set the example. He must walk daily with his God. Thirdly, and lastly... A father needs to be present within his home. He needs to be present. Look at verse 3, and I want you to notice the location of the blessings listed in this psalm. Verse 3 says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. In our Sunday school class, our men's class downstairs, we've been going through a great teaching by Tony Evans. And he points out so clearly as we read this verse that it's in your house, around your table, where these blessings take place. It's not the neighbor's house. It's not the neighbor's table. It's not anyone else's. It's your house, your table. It's your wife and your children. You see, too many men find their greatest joys and fulfillment in life through work, through recreation, through possessions, all of the other things we could list. And of course, men have to provide. That is one of our God-given roles. We have to work, and we can't be home all the time. Of course, we can also say there's nothing wrong with having some recreation time as a man away from the family, provided it's kept in proper balance. And of course, we also need to recognize there's not anything necessarily wrong with having possessions and the things that we enjoy having or using in life. But as we acknowledge those things, we need to realize that the alluring pull of these aspects of our life, whether job, recreation, or possessions, these things can distract us and rob us from having that precious time and the priority of actually being present in our homes around our tables with our families. William Willimon told about an adult Sunday school class where they were studying about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And the teacher asked a very open-ended question. How are we tempted today? A young salesman was the first to speak, and he said, Temptation is when your boss calls you as mine did yesterday and says, I'm going to give you a real opportunity. I'm going to give you a bigger sales territory. We believe you're going places, young man. But I don't want a bigger sales territory the young salesman had replied. I'm already away from home four nights a week. To take on any more wouldn't be fair to my wife and daughter. Look, his boss had replied, we're asking you to do this for your wife and daughter. Don't you want to be a good father? It takes money to support a family these days. Surely your little girl doesn't take too much money now, but think of the future. Think of her education down the road. I'm only asking that you take this promotion for them. To which the young salesman had replied, But I am thinking of her future, sir. That's why I can't accept this promotion. 
Because when my little girl's all growing up, I don't want her to say, my daddy gave me nice things, but I hardly knew him. No, I want her to be able to say, I knew my daddy because he was home with me. In order to have a God-blessed home, fathers need to be physically present. If we're simply out working, having recreation and every other thing we can imagine under the sun, but we are not present under our own roofs, around our own tables, we are missing out and we are not doing what God has asked us as men to do. You know, if you think that you can just give your kids things and you've met your obligation as a father, you are dead wrong. If you think providing for your family is simply putting your wife in a nice home and then you've done everything that God's asked of you, you're wrong. You see, when the Bible says you're the provider, it means far more than just materially. It's talking about spiritual provision as well. And how can we do those things if we are not present? But let me tell you that being present doesn't just mean being physically present. It also means being mentally and emotionally present as well. Now, I'm going to confess, I'm a pretty typical man in this area. And I know how easy it is for me to be physically present, but emotionally and mentally just checked out. There are plenty of times when I get home from work and my head is just loaded with stuff and I'm tired and all I want to do is just sit down on that couch and turn on the baseball or hockey game and just tune everything else out. But that's why the Lord has blessed me with a very good wife who very graciously helps keep me accountable in this area. To not just tune out what's happening around me, even though I'm physically present and being mentally tuned out. You know, I read in my study this week that the average father spends seven and one-half minutes per week actually talking with their teenage son or daughter. Seven and a half minutes is the average length of time that a modern-day dad is actually in communication with their teenage son or daughter. Does that shock you? Does that stand out to you a little bit? You see, actual communication, actually investing in finding out what their life is like and what's happening. Seven and a half minutes a week, that's not a lot of time. Especially when we consider the school system has our children five days a week, six hours a day, and the average father spends seven and one half minutes talking with their teenage child. When we look at a stat like that, how are we surprised by the state of this generation? As we look at all of the things that this generation is struggling with, all of the things from premarital sex to pornography to drugs to all of the social pressures around them, And if their fathers are only invested seven and a half minutes a week, we shouldn't be surprised that this generation is struggling so much. We shouldn't be surprised then why so many teenagers who even grew up in Christian homes are rejecting the faith and leaving the church. You see, the Bible says, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is our command, and that cannot be done, I don't believe, in only seven and a half minutes a week. I want you to listen to a statement Josh McDowell made. And if you forget everything else, don't forget this. He said, Rules without relationship brings rebellion. Rules without relationship brings rebellion. You can't grow children who love God merely by setting up the rules for them and then coming into the house once in a while to enforce them. You have to bring them up in the Lord. If you just have rules, you will provoke your children. You will frustrate them. 
And so he says the way to bring them up is to have them like a tender olive plant. Have them planted firmly around your table and to have that relationship with your children where you can speak into their lives and they will hear you. So how does this happen? Well, it's really quite simple. We've got to start by putting away the distractions so we can focus on what's important. That starts for me when Leanne comes in and turns the TV off and says, Danny, Declan's been trying to get your attention for the past five minutes. Do you want to just play with him for a bit? Oh yeah, honey, that's a great idea. As long as that TV's on, it's so easy for me to be distracted and he can be right there and I'm not even noticing. Turn off the TV, block out those distractions, close that laptop, put away the iPhone and the newspaper. Give your child some undivided attention and it's amazing what a little bit of undivided attention, a little bit of focus time where you are mentally and emotionally engaged with your child, it can go so far. One of the most basic ways to implement this, I believe, is at supper time. Remember it said, around your table. What do you do around your table? Well, you eat together. You all have to eat sometime, right? So why not eat together as a family? This is God's design. Have a daily meal together as much as possible, as often as possible. Eat together around your table as a family. Remember, TV off, newspapers and iPhones put away. You know, if, if, if everyone's just sitting around the table texting, is going like this the whole time, well, how much communication is really happening, right? Put away the iPhones. Make that a rule. No sitting and looking at gadgets while you're at the table. This is family time. We're going to sit here, we're going to eat, and we're actually going to talk with each other face-to-face. Imagine that. Set the ground rules, and you'll be amazed at the dividends that happen as a result. So many things happen around the table. You hear about their day. You ask those questions. You pray for them and with them. You set the example. So, recapping our lesson for this morning, what can a father do to obtain God's blessing? It begins with the fear of the Lord. Fear Him and you need not fear anything else. Secondly, we must walk in His ways. We must set the example. We must lead the way in our relationship with the Lord. And finally, we must be present in our home, both physically, emotionally, and mentally. And I want you to listen to the results. Verses 2-4 to says... Then you will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. What a great picture. That when you set this kind of example, your wife is in an environment where she can flourish. And then it says your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. This is the optimal conditions for child to grow, is when you do these things. This is how the Lord blesses those who fear him. May God add his blessing to you and your house this day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is simple. That, Lord, your commands are clear. Lord, it's implementing them that is often difficult. And so, Father, even as we have clearly understood your word, I pray right now, Lord, for that courage, for that intentional focus to implement what you have shown us in your word so clearly. Lord, help us to take practical, tangible steps within our homes today to put these things into action. And we pray, Lord, that you would add your blessing as a result. 
that you would bring up children who fear you, who love you, and serve you with their lives. We pray, Lord, that as we do this in our homes, that your church would be built up. And that, Lord, as your church is built up, we would be this salt and light within the world around us that would also be influenced, Lord. That all of these families and all of these places and all of this generation of children who are hurting because there aren't fathers who are living in your design, Lord, we pray that that would begin to change even right now today. And so, Father, we ask for your power to be at work within this. Help us, Lord, even as we fail and as we struggle and as we try again to not give up but to persevere and always look to you. And so bless each father who's here today, Lord. Give them what they need. Give them wisdom. Give them courage. And give them love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.